Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Dr. Laurie Monaco. Laurie is best known as the Badass Buddha, and she's an authenticity teacher, a coach, and a speaker, as well as a chiropractic physician. She's also the co-host of the YouTube and Facebook show, Viva Café Con Leche, and the blog talk radio show, Viva Mums After Dark. Badass Buddha teaches people how to love more, laugh more, live more, be happy, be real, and be themselves. So I am super excited to welcome Dr. Laurie Monaco to the show. Welcome, Laurie. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So happy to be here. I'm so excited. Now, you call yourself the Badass Buddha. I mean, what an awesome name. I know you probably pronounce it differently to me, but I think it's fabulous. Please tell us a little bit about you and how you came to become the Badass Buddha. Um, I love that name, by the way, and I've grown to really love the name. So um, it started a few, like about three years ago when I started a blog and the blog, I was trying to come the name up with the name for the blog. And the blog was The Compassionate Badass because it really defined the two sides of me, the compassionate individual and then the badass that I had become after years of depression. But it wasn't until it struck me that it felt good, but it didn't feel great. Like Compassionate Badass, it sounds good, but it doesn't sound 100% right and whatever. And then um, I was following a group called Mind Valley. So I have to give kudos to, to him for coming up with this. And Vishen Lakiani came out with a book called The Buddha and the Badass. And when I first heard that term together, I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. It's the badass Buddha. And I used to use the Buddha term all the time when I would refer to my kids. And, and that's what I tend to resonate closer towards is Buddhism anyway. So I was like, you know what? That makes perfect sense. The badass Buddha. It represents me. It represents the compassionate, kind, empathetic individual who loves life. And then it also represents the new me that came out after my massive depressive episode. I became unapologetically the badass in my own life. So, I mean, I've, I know your story, but please share it with my listeners because you have been through so much. Being, bearing in mind, a lot of my listeners are going through a breakup, heartbreak. Maybe they've had their partner cheat on them. But really, you've been through so much. So would you share your story with us? Sure, absolutely. So I'm 51 years old and my story started back when I was younger. I've had depression since I was 15, very low self-worth and struggled with identity. And I had eating disorders and all this other stuff. And I didn't date a lot. And so when men would be interested in me, I was very you know, apprehensive at the same time I wanted to be with somebody. So go to age about 23 and I met a gentleman and fast forward, I won't make a a long story longer, but fast forward and all of a sudden we're dating and it's hot and heavy and we decide to get married and about eight years into the relationship, six years married. It's not that I discovered he was cheating on me. I knew he was cheating off and on. 
but I got to a point where I couldn't take it anymore. I had found out through that time period that I was the other woman uh, in the beginning of the relationship, which I didn't know. He was dating somebody and I was the other woman. I broke up with him, but we got back together and he cheated on me incessantly. And I kept thinking in my head, I always say I was so young and dumb. Uh, I always say to myself, oh, he's, he's going to pick me and he's going to stop and this is going to be great and it's going to be wonderful. And he wasn't even a great guy. Like he was very narcissistic. He was, he didn't want to work. He just, all these bad, like, what was I hanging on to? Like, why would I even want to be with that? Right. So the odd thing about it is I was going to divorce him and he ended up getting sick and he passed away three months later. And so I got out of that relationship. That's how I looked at it. Like there was a reason the universe wanted me out of that relationship. So it took me about a year and then I started dating again and I, it wasn't really working out and I started dating somebody else and it was great. It was really phenomenal relationship. The very first day we established what we both wanted in a relationship. And I made it really clear, you know, how my first relationship was. And that I was with a cheater. I I could not be with somebody like that. I am ridiculously devoted. Like I am a devoted, devoted individual. And so that's my expectation. At least I thought that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted somebody like that or expected. And this individual assured me that he wasn't that way. And about 14 years into the relationship, 11 years married, I found out that not only was he cheating, but he was cheating the whole entire time with enormous amount of women. He was literally living two different lives. He was, and, and, and I was so not like this one threw me because I just didn't think that he would do that because he said he did, he wasn't going to do it. So I believed him. And so there were a couple of things in hindsight is 2020. So there were a couple of things that after the fact, after I found out, they made more sense. And I started to feel like maybe two years prior, three years prior to actually finding out, there were a couple of incidents that were questionable. But when I would ask him and I would inquire, he would lie, you know, and he was really good at it. And I think that was the scariest part was that there were so many elements to deal with. It wasn't just the fact that the person was cheating on me for so many years, but also that I didn't know. And when I, when I would get suspicious and ask, the individual would flat out lie to me, to my face, come home from hanging out with women and sleeping with them and act like nothing was wrong for all those years. And so that put me into a massive depression. Like it it went, I went into a depressive episode like I'd never been before. And it lasted about six months and three weeks of it, I was suicidal. And I had never been there before. I had never, you know, like I said, I've been cheated on before, but it was just so different this time around. And finally decided to wake up. And I finally decided to say, when I opted not to go through with the suicide, obviously I woke up and I said, okay, then I've got to take responsibility for me. Like what part did I play? I'm not taking responsibility for their choices, which were really awful by the way, but I'm going to say, okay, what role did I play? And, And the role that I realized I played was that individual who just didn't think she was worthy, didn't think she was good enough, put that energy out there and managed to attract He also was a narcissist or still is, and he's better now, but I tracked two narcissists in my life, which made perfect sense because my sibling is a narcissist and I was raised with that. And that's all I knew as far as men were concerned. So it was a real big awakening for me. And it, it was 
the kick in the pants that I needed, the fire under my, you know, rear that I needed, whatever, whatever little saying that you want to say, what turned out to be one of the worst times in my life turned out to be the most fantastic awakenings of my life, basically. What a story. I mean, it is so difficult to sort of comprehend going through a relationship where you were the other woman and didn't even know in your first relationship there that you were right. talking about. Then understand that he's cheating and then go into another relationship where someone's lying to your face. And again, there's still cheating going on. So looking back, you mentioned that there were some signs with hindsight. I think it's interesting to always look back and learn from those, right? So we don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again. For people listening who may be in that kind of situation, what do you think the signs of a partner cheating are? Because obviously when you confronted him, he told you he wasn't. So what were the signs now looking back that you think maybe you should have maybe investigated a little bit further? Well, it was always my gut, like my gut didn't place things correctly. And so he would say something or say he was doing something or going somewhere and the timeline didn't seem right. And something was off and the way he was acting seemed weird. And there's, you know, we, oh, it's just like playing poker. People have those tells. And once you recognize those little things that show in their face or their behavior. When you're playing cards, you know that they have a good hand or bad hand. And it's the same thing with individuals who are pathological or compulsive cheaters, which is what I was with. They are liars. I mean, they lie and they do it really well. And they've done this for a really long time. And coming from somebody who's not a liar, but I lie about like stupid stuff, you know, like nothing like that, you know, and like, I'll lie to my kid and say, yeah, there's no cookies left in, you know, in the cupboard. And because I don't want her to have a cookie, you know, but I can't lie like that because I just doesn't sit well with me. So when you get somebody that's really good at it and you're not good at it, or you're not used to it, you have to learn how to read them and you have to pay attention. If your gut's telling you something's wrong, then you have to look further. And the worst thing you can do is ever ask them because they will twist it around. Those are the little key things too. Like when you do ask them questions, if they they change the subject, they twist it around on you. Those are real big, noticeable red flags that something's going on. If they talk a lot about other people cheating or other people doing things that they're not supposed to do, to get you in a conversation, that's also a bit of a red flag too. I, I noticed that, especially with the second husband, he would always talk about other people doing things and it come to find out that he was the one that was doing those things. And so I always felt like that was a little bit of a confession almost to make to ease himself a little bit. But once my gut was kicked into play, you have to follow through. And sometimes you have to be very sneaky about it. You know, that's the thing. You know, if they'll accuse you of, oh, you spying on me, you this. If they weren't doing anything that they shouldn't have been, then they shouldn't be upset with you spying on them. You know, that's the other thing. If, if you start grabbing their phone and trying to look at text messages or phone calls or blah, blah, blah. If they get mad about that, then that's a red flag too. Because if they're really not doing anything, they'd be like, okay, let's talk about this. Like what is going on? Like, why are you thinking I'm doing that? So let's talk about this. Cause I know that's how I would feel. If somebody said, oh, you're cheating. I'd be like, okay, where's this coming from? Let's talk about this. Here's my phone. Here's my email. Look through it all because that's not the case. And then for me, one of the things that I did was I decided, okay, I, I knew he was lying. And this happened with both of them, but especially the second one, I recorded them. I figured out 
a way to keep tabs on them and find out if I was correct. And lo and behold, that's what I did, especially for the second one. I literally recorded conversations and that's how I learned a lot about him. It wasn't just a one night thing like he had said. It was a whole nother life that he was leading and he was speaking like the person I was hearing on the recording wasn't even the person that I was married to. I'm, I'm like listening to this going, this is who is this? And I think that's what really, it was great because I got to know, but at the same time, that's what really tipped me over into the depression. But again, I came out of it as the person I was meant to be. So I'm one of those people that has to know. And I think that's where a lot of, especially women, we come from that place of, we want to know and they won't admit it. That's for sure. When you have somebody that's lying on a daily basis, they will never admit anything. And if they do, they will admit very minimal, very guarded because they don't wanted to come back and bite them or if they go back to that lifestyle they don't want to give out all their secrets <laughs> absolutely and also you know it's a web of lies so you know sometimes they can't remember what they've lied about what they've told you what they've absolutely. told somebody else and so maybe i've seen that they you know did distance yourself you from other people in their lives so that you can't have a conversation where everything starts to unravel for them so they'll keep you quite distant from other people in their lives. But I mean, it's interesting you said you were recording him. So so you kind of bugged him then, did you? When he went backwards and forwards from your house to wherever he was going. Is that what you oh, did? Yes. Oh, my goodness. And I say it proudly. I've got to tell you, the, the first husband I bugged with the phone, I was able to get a recorder to go on the landline. And that's when I heard the comment because that this was before really cell phones were really that big. I knew that I had to be sneakier because he rapidly once he once I saw text messages and realized he was and confirmed it, he rapidly changed his phone number and said, oh, you know, and his excuse was too many people had his number that he didn't need to talk to. And it was just because literally he had that number for years and women knew it and they would call him for years, you know? So I knew that I couldn't access the text messages anymore. I'm giving away all my secrets here. And I knew I couldn't do that. And so I had to know, like, I wanted to know what was really happening. So yeah, I bought little recording devices and I put one in the car. I even got so bold as to put it in his pocket on him. And he didn't know it was there for a couple of months. Imagine that because he had so much stuff in his pocket. And that's how I learned. It was very insightful. Now, I mean, I, I became very obsessed with it. So it wasn't a very healthy situation for me, but I knew me. And this is what happens is that if I didn't know the actual truth, I didn't care how bad the actual truth was. I just needed to know it. And I think that's the hardest part for people dealing with infidelity. You know, whether it's the man or the woman that's dealing with it is that closure. You don't get closure from individuals who are compulsive liars because. Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control, and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life, and design a future you are excited to live. 
Sara has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sara too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. They will never tell you exactly the truth. And so if you're seeking that, if that's going to be really important in your growth, you have got to deal with that and learn to let that go and say, if, if they give it up, great. But if they don't, then I can't, you know, like I'm, I'm still going to have to move forward. Totally agree. You don't get closure. And even if they do tell you things, they're not going to be the things you want to hear or need to hear anyway. I guess, though, recording someone and obviously he didn't spot it for a couple of months. So you knew this was going on for a while. That also, if you're going to do something like that, you're putting yourself out there to hear some things that you are going to find really painful, right? Of I mean, course. As, that, as that starts to unravel, how are you coping with that? How are you managing when he comes back into the home to even stay sane with that? Well, at that point we were already, he was still living in the house, but we, like I had already said, like, you know, I had kicked him out for a couple of weeks and then um, I did let him come back in. And there were, there were a reason we had a couple of small children and there were financial reasons and there were a whole bunch of reasons why I let him come back in, but he was like, you know, it was, it was like separate, you know, like sleeping, he was sleeping here. I was sleeping here. And I already knew in my head that it was done. It was over. Like I, there was just no way, but that piece of it, I will say was selfishly for me. It was me having to know exactly what I was dealing with. And so I love that you said that sorrow, because it's real. It is not easy to hear what you're hearing. But I knew already that I detached myself from that piece of saying, you know, we're going to stay together and maybe this will work out that that I already I had already decided, but I wanted to hear it for me. And I went in knowing that I could hear some stuff that I didn't want to hear. And what happened was the obsession of it over it kind of took over the emotional piece. But the backlash was that at the end, when the obsession stopped and I finally stopped doing it, I finally said, I'm done. I don't need to do this anymore. That's when the crash came down. It was almost like I was running on adrenaline for those that time period. And then the crash came in. And and that's when the suicidal piece came in because it was, you know, letting go, like hitting that bottom and saying, wow, like here's bottom and here's me. And if I couldn't feel any lower than I did before, I feel it now. So there were repercussions for it, but luckily for me, I took myself out of it, you know? And so, and I did go to therapy for a while and I, and yeah, you have to know that you're, you're going to need assistance. Like you're going to need really close friends or family members if you're going to go that route, because it's, it's hard. I mean, it, it's really hard. And, and I didn't even hear the worst of it because he had already started to cut off those people um, immediately. So I heard certain pieces. I could know, I could, I said to myself, I would have only imagined what I would have heard prior to, like if I had actually Cause I had thought about getting the recording device and what happened was I, I had it and I was going to start doing it because of that gut. But then I discovered the text messages and I blew up and I confronted him 
And that's when he immediately changed all the things, his number, his every. So had I just closed off and held it in and said, okay, I got the text. I see what's going on. Let me record him now. I would have heard even more stuff even more. And it would have been really mind blowing. And I know it would have been because I know the level at where he was and how many women he was talking to. Yeah. I mean, I think with knowing a lot, and I see clients all the time in my coaching clinic who want to know more, want to understand what's going on. But then obviously the flip side of that is that you're living in this 3D, even 4D sort of scenario where you know people and you know what their voices sound like and you know who they are, what they're doing, where they're going, how they are with each other. And that is even harder when you don't really know, you don't have that color real life movie that keeps playing around there's gaps in that which almost protect you in some way so you know it's totally understandable it fell into a depression so tell me about that I mean being suicidal with three children how on earth did you manage to get through that and what was it that managed to pull you out so I, I don't want to give out too much because I tell this story in, in a compilation book that I have coming out on November 9th, 2021 of this year. So, but I'll say this, that it was my children. Like it, it was coming to terms with the fact that I dealt with depression since I was 15. And then here I am at 46 and I'm contemplating suicide, you know, and you always hear things like, oh, teens are the ones that have the highest suicide rate. And I'm looking at my kids and I'm looking at their ages. They're all very spaced apart. They're all 10 years apart. And so I started to, as I was sitting there thinking about, you know, cause I had planned it out. I know when I wanted to do it, I was already getting all that situated. I really feel like it was a divine intervention. I feel like universal intelligence, whatever came down and said to me, like really had me think this through like really looked at the scenarios. Like I was literally seeing visualizations of my children's lives without me. And I looked at that and I said, I I can't do that. And I I saw one of them repeating what I was going to do. And I, I just was like, yeah, this is not, I don't want this life for them. You know, even though, because I'll tell you when you're people who've never been suicidal, people who've never been that low, they don't understand it. They don't understand like, how could anybody want to do that? But when you're in that much pain, it it doesn't matter whether it's somebody betrayed you or it's your finances that are whatever, whatever's causing your pain. It could be your health, like a, a terminal illness or a severe illness, a chronic illness. When you're in that much pain, that's a viable choice. Like it's, it's just like, well, I could end the pain right here and now, and then that's it. And I'm done. I'm I've released myself of it. And so it is, it's very real. That's why I I feel very sympathetic and compassionate towards individuals who feel that way. So I believed then that I had my own personal fortitude. You know, when you, when you're really that low, you don't even think you have anything. You don't think there's, you have no resilience. You have no strength there. You're not brave, courageous whatsoever. But there was something and there was still a little bit of a flame. There was something and it was enough to spark a much bigger fire. And then I went into a very deep dive of, okay, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to change my life, this is never going to happen again because I have to change me. And I had to look back at the last 20 years of my life, actually last almost 30 years of my life of who I was, why I was. And that's really what got me to, to shift. 
Yeah, I mean, gosh, that resonates so much. I think that, you know, when you're at those depths, like you say, the pain is so all-consuming that it doesn't seem like there are many options, many choices, and that, you know, in those moments, you know, bad decisions become options. But, you know, what you're saying now about digging deep and, and pulling yourself out, I think, you know, when you get to rock bottom, that really is the only way up, right? There's one way and it's up. So how did you hang on to that? And what were the key things that you realized that you needed to change, maybe that you were learning from looking back that have helped you get to where you are now? I'm glad you asked that question, Sarah, because I don't know exactly what caused me to hang on so much. I think it was me. I think it was really me. You know, was the, my kids were the catalyst, but me, I think I had just had it. I just looked at my life and said, your life is nothing the way you wanted it. The kids are, you know, you always wanted kids. So the kids are the big piece. But your finances are in the toilet. You had a failed business. You had two terrible relationships, you know, that you committed yourself to. And it's so I looked at that and I said, this was nothing like so I all of a sudden became my awareness became heightened about where I was at that moment. And I said, this was nothing that I signed up for. So what did I do wrong all those years ago? What, What did I do to attract this? I'm a big, big believer in energy. And so you attract what you, you put out and my energy must've stunk. That's how I looked at it. I'm like, my energy must've just been in like the, the bottom barrel, you know? So I said, okay, if, if I am going to change my life, then I have to shift my energy and I have to shift who I am. And so I went into the deep dive of, of what I do best. Like, you know, I, I mean, I taught for almost 20 years about the human brain and how it works and, you know, the human body. And I've been to personal development since I was 19 years old, but back then it was called self-help. And it's like, I had all this information. Why didn't I apply it to myself? Okay. So why didn't I apply it to myself? Because I didn't think I was worthy. I didn't think it was possible. I just wanted to settle. So I, I, I said, okay, I'm done with that story. And I just started reading and watching podcast or listening to podcasts, watching videos and going to seminars and getting mentors. And I really did a lot of mind shifting work, changing, you know, identifying the habits, identifying the beliefs and the, and the behaviors and shifting them, um, created a daily mindfulness practice. Like from that point forward, I just practice mindfulness and, that's what really did it. That's what kept me going is I would see and I would feel different every single day. And the crying that was daily, like I literally cried every day for six months. And I used to teach, I would teach four hour class, yet I would get out of bed. I was either in bed all day or sitting on the couch and I would get up to go to work. And thank God I was teaching part-time at the time. I would go and teach. I would dry, I would cry all the way to, to work with a 30 minute drive. I would fix myself up. I would teach for four hours and it was teaching subjects. And I love teaching. And, and I, I would completely be in another realm. Like as if nothing happened, I would leave. And then I would get in the car and I'd cry all the way home. And then I would cry all day, the rest of the day or night, whatever. And little by little, I was crying less and less. But one thing I noticed was that I was so different when I was teaching, my mind was somewhere else. And so when I finally noticed that, I said to myself, that's interesting because if I can shift like that and be in the moment doing something that I was so passionate about teaching, then I can be in the moment 
at any time in my day. And I started to fill those in with learning. So it's either teaching or learning. So that's, so on the 30 minute drive, I started to listen to these podcasts, these, or I would listen to the videos. I love that insight that if you can do it even for a couple of seconds, then you're capable of doing it. And that shifting the focus and having that freedom while you're doing something that you love is so important. And that's something that I come back to time and time again with my clients, because you know, when you are in that depth of depression, which, you know, when you're going through any kind of breakup is a normal part of the healing process to get back yes. up on your feet as you grieve the end of the relationship, you know, actually being able to, to have bit moments of happiness where you're not thinking about everything else and you're not weighed down by the weight of the world and the finances and everything else that's going on. If you can do it for, like you said, a short period, then you can build on that, which is obviously what you were doing. And also, you know, learning to love yourself, I guess, again, as, as for who you, you are, right? Well, that's it. I, and I think that was the biggest piece was the becoming my most, most authentic self. You know, I had to really deal with the fact that when I look back at those years, I wasn't me. Like there were moments that I was there, but I wasn't really me. I was, you know, when, when we look at the two comparisons of mindset, you know, they talk about the mindset of scarcity or lack, and then the mindset of abundance. And when I actually had those two lists sitting next to each other in my, during my transformation, my growth, I was reading through the scarcity list and I'm going, oh my gosh, that was me. Like that was, there's so many, and I didn't want to admit that, but it was, but I had to. And I looked at that. I'm like, I was all those things. No wonder I was attracting all this. Like, you know, how they always say misery loves company. It's true. It's like, you're going to attract who you attract. And so I said, oh, I don't want to be that anymore. Like I want to be the abundant thinker. And so some of it was easy shift and others, not so much, you know, some you had to really, had to really work hard. And I had to question myself all the time. And when things would come out of my mouth that were more scarcity mindset, I was like, okay, why did I just do that? Why did I say that? Where's this coming from? Constantly this inner monologue uh, or dialogue, however we want to look at it, because I was talking to myself, but it was, it was constantly questioning as the growth was happening. And even, even, even to this day, you know, there's still things that will pop out here and there. We were always continuously transforming. So there will always be something that comes back from the past that you didn't expect that else. Whoa, where'd that come from? You know? And, but it's, again, it's about questioning yourself and saying, wow, okay. Is that really representative of me? Do I want people to see that? And I didn't, you know, I always had viewed myself as a very happy, optimistic person, but actually I was really miserable. And it wasn't until after all of this that I said, okay, I'm done with that. Like I'm done with that. And if you don't like me, then I don't know what to tell you. Then I'm, I'm okay with that because I was the people pleaser. I was always trying to fit in and be something that I wasn't just for other people. So once I realized that was a big lie, that conversation. Yeah, I, think, I think you're so right. Sometimes, you know, I, I know a lot of people are people pleasers, but once you realize that you're never, that's a losing game. That's like striving yeah. for perfection that everyone's going to like you because some people just are not going to like you. That's right. And, and once you drop that weight, it's very freeing. It's like, well, I'm free to be myself and, and I can do, you know, obviously within the realms of your values and your morals, but I'm going to be me. 
And, you know, if people like me, great. And if they don't, I can live with that because I love yeah. myself enough and I have enough self-respect yes. to just be true to myself. Like you said, it's that authenticity. And I think once you're in that flow, I mean, I can see you now on camera and you're glowing and you're beautiful and you can see you've come that full cycle there where, you know, now it's that inner confidence where I guess your gut now rules, you know, you'll listen to it, right? You, you've learned to tune into that and what feels comfortable and what, and what doesn't. No, I'm just thinking, Osha, I mean, I know a lot of my listeners are going to be thinking, wow, how can I find out more? Where can I learn more from you? How can people find you, Laurie? I'm findable. Is that a word? I don't even know if that's a word. <laughs> I like I, it. If it's I'm, not, we'll take it. I'm on, uh, so my, I have a website, uh, drlaurimonaco.com. I'm on LinkedIn with the same name, Dr. Laurie Monaco. Facebook, same thing. Twitter, the same thing. On TikTok, I am the badass Buddha. And then on Instagram, I'm the badass Buddha one. So you can find me. And you've got a book coming out in November 2021. Tell us a little bit about that. I do. Um, so it's called Her Badass Story. And it's a compilation book. We have, there's about nine of us contributing. And it's the story of trauma to triumph to transformation. It's women sharing their stories on how they became unapologetically the badass in their own lives. And uh, we have very diverse group of women with very diverse stories. So it's not like all infidelity stories or abuse stories. There's all over the board. And um, it's absolutely great to see what these women have shared. I love that. Trauma to triumph to transformation. I mean, that yeah. is awesome. And that's really the, the full cycle, right? So that sounds brilliant. And having nine different stories, that's going to make for a good read. So We'll be looking out for that when that comes out. Thank you. And I know you run some courses as well. Tell me a little bit about those. I'm still putting together my own packages to have people sign up for, but people hire me to do workshops. So I teach everything I do is mindfulness centered. So no matter where I'm teaching, if it's teaching corporate healthcare or whatever, I always do mindfulness based. So I teach a lot of mindfulness workshops. I teach transformational workshops, mindfulness leadership workshops. My programs include my blast sessions, my blast coaching, which means best life, authentic self-transformed. And I do it in either one-on-one -on -one group. And then I have a wellness program for those that are not in the best of health or they're not happy with their weight. And then I have something coming up in January called Transformation University, which is a 12 month program based on my seven core pillars of alignment. Wow. Well, there's lots and lots of great stuff there. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I have one last question for you that I ask all my guests. So my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And mm -hmm. as we said during this episode, that happiness is something that you can tap into along the way, even when things are really tough. So what is happiness for you, Laurie? Happy, oh, I love that question. Happiness is being me. And oh, I'm getting emotional a little bit. Um, it's a happy emotion though. It's It's about really being in love with yourself and knowing that if you had your heart broken, that you're the one that has to heal your heart and you will heal the heart, your heart by fully loving yourself and saying, I'm so okay with who I am. And if you are so okay with who you are every day, you will be happy. I mean, will you have be happy every moment of every day? Not every moment of every day, but at the end of your day, you can say, when you reflect on your day and you could say, today was a good day because I'm happy because I'm me and I'm unapologetic about it. So happiness is true self and loving your true self, your spirit. I love that. 
being unapologetically me that is lovely thank you thank you so much you've been an amazing guest your story is really moving and very inspiring so thank you I know you'll have helped a lot of my listeners so thank you so much Laurie thank you Sarah for having me I really appreciate it that's it for today's episode do head on over to www.drlauriemonaco.com to find out more about Laurie and her amazing work and I look forward to you joining me on my next episode that's it for today's episode of heartbreak to happiness Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com, where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.